0: Well, good morning, church. Go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles, because you're going to need them. If you don't have one, we have some in the back. We can bring them to you, or you can get one, whatever you want. If you just, you know, raise your hand. Somebody send me a Bible, we'll get you one. You go and grab your Bibles, we'll be in Acts. Um, and it's like, wait a minute, I thought we were rooted. Uh, yes, we are. Uh, this Sunday, we begin a short discipleship journey. It all begins today. And uh, Rooted is what it's called, not to be confused with our college career group. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, singles, and actually we have a married couple that comes as well, anywhere between age 20 and 30, on uh, the second and fourth Monday night. Uh, it's called Rooted, but not to be confused with that. This is a discipleship program. Uh, basically, I'm preaching on a message, and then you're going to take a deeper dive through the week. And uh, we, this is really coming out of Acts chapter 2, uh, but what's going to happen is, When I preach on Sunday, the message that I'm sharing is not cliff notes to the notebook. So you're getting the notebook and you're going to read through. Uh, It looks sort of like this here, this book. Um, If you've gotten it, great. I'll tell you more about how to get in a second. But what's going to happen is I'm going to preach through it. So today I'm just talking about the introduction to Rooted. Tomorrow you can open up page one. You can start today if you want. It doesn't matter. Uh, And you're just going to read the introduction. Now you're going to turn through from page 5 to 15. I'm sorry page 18, and you think, well, that was it. Where was the devotions at? That starts in week two. So a week from tomorrow, there'll be five devotions, five days of reading devotions with questions that follow. Uh, You'll be able to reflect on those and share those with others. Some of you have already paid your $15. Some of you still owe $15. The workbooks are in the back. Uh, Denny and Dawn Roop will be back there after church uh, to help sort that out with you. If you signed up for the Rooted book, they're available for you today. If you did not sign up for one, give them your name if you want one. And uh, so we can follow up with you as well. I think what we're going to have to do is send out an email. So if you're not on the church email list, get us your email. We're going to send you a link this week so you can download or at least view the first week's uh, book content online. And then we'll get some books ordered so you have them for next week. Okay? So if you didn't sign up, you can still do that. Um, but I pray that, first of all, obviously this is the way it always works. I pray that the Sunday's message is always beneficial. When I get up here to preach, I, I, pray, I preach what God's laid upon my heart, the direction that I feel He wants us to go. And I pray that's beneficial to you. Um, that, that God's saying, this is what the church needs to hear. But here's the thing about this Rooted series. I obviously want every Sunday's message to be spot on with what God wants as we're going through this discipleship journey. But here's the other thing. I pray that you are also saying, I want a little bit more. And that's what the workbook is about as you go through this. Um, The additional readings in in the workbook are going to be empowering, okay? But here's the thing. Better yet, it's when you share whatever you've been reading through the week with another person. Spouse, small group, somebody else in the church, calling them up and saying, hey, day number two this week, did you read that? I I got a question about that. Or can I share with you what I discovered? That's going to make it even more empowering. So the challenge is obviously to listen, to read, and then to share with each other. Small groups, couples, another person, whatever it may be. And again, um, I want to make sure we're on the same page on this, okay? Over the next 10 weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to grow in our faith. And it's based off of uh, the the model and the example of the early church. Now, here's the thing. I want to make sure it's clear, too. We're not trying to replicate Acts 2. It's beautiful what, what God did with the early church. But that was the early church. As we are growing in our faith, we want to look at what they did and model after that. But we're not trying to be like them. We're trying to be who God's called us to be. And so as we go through this, it's going to be, that sounds familiar to what Acts chapter 2 is all about. and It's exactly the point. We've gone from Acts 1 to Acts 12. Acts chapter 13 starts the missionary journeys. Before we go that direction, we're coming back to make sure we are rooted in how we are going to grow in our faith. So in your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. I had the privilege of talking to a gentleman from his church is actually called 242 uh, up in Michigan. Uh, there's some of the first churches that started with this uh, discipleship material. And he was uh, extremely excited about what God has done in his church. And, um, and I've been praying the same thing for our church. Acts chapter 2, Verse 42. Starts off with this. All the believers devoted themselves. Pause for a second. Those first five words matter. It wasn't some of the church, and it wasn't half-hearted, wishy-washy. Let's think about this. How about we vote on this? How about it was all the believers devoted themselves. What did they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Verse 44 goes on to say, And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in the homes of the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Now this is a familiar passage. It was preached on a couple months ago. But the passage itself exemplifies the behavior of someone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. You're saying, how do you know that person's a Christian? You're like, you look at the scripture and say, they were showing everybody, they were uh, giving an example to everybody. This is what it looks like to have faith in Jesus Christ. There was faith and action that came together. Now, as you remember, we paused at Acts chapter 12 and then uh, Brian started preaching on the book of James. We're like, Acts 12, there's a 13. Why did we talk about James? Because chronologically, the way the Bible was written, uh, chronologically, as you're going through Acts chapter 12, James, one of the leaders in the church, then wrote his book, his letter, right in the midst of all of that. That's why he preached on that. And I think he explained that. But in James, this is what we read. James says, Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? He goes on to say in verse 26 of chapter 2, in a much more unique way, just as the body's dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. These two things go together so well. Their devotion was to God's teaching. Community, fellowship, sharing together in meals, generosity, sharing what they had, and then this time of worship and prayer. There was, I believe, coupled with, and I am showing it. There was action. They came together. Now, with all that in mind, this leads me to a challenging question. A question that probably many of you have struggled with over the years. I hope you haven't been sleepless over this one, but here's the question. How do you pick the right watermelon? I mean, how do you pick the right water? Do you thump it? Do you look for the yellow spot? Is there a smell to it? Everybody's got their, you, you see people pick them up in the, in the grocery store all the time. They pick them up. Dum, dum, dum. Yeah. And then they get home. No. Right? You all know. You've tried it. And they, you, you look really educated when you do it. I, I try to. I pick it up. I'm like, I like it. It's a good one. Put it in my cart and I go with it. Right? But here's the thing. You don't know you really have a good watermelon until what? You cut it open and eat it. That's the only way to figure it out. Right? And some of you, you like, you cut it open. You're like, Yes, and you take a little piece of it, yes, and as you cut it open, you're like, oh, and you just want to take it and like spike it like a football, but you know that that'll make a mess, right? It's, just, it's like you're celebrating or you are crying over a watermelon, right? But then I thought about this. The same can be said of us as well. How do you know somebody has faith in God? You thump them on the head, thump them on the heart, well, hollow. No, nope, they don't got Christ in there. What do, you, what do you do? Well, you definitely don't cut them open, okay? And you don't spike them, okay? How do you know somebody has faith in God? Well, Jesus says, let me tell you about this. Jesus Christ made it very simply. He said, Do you believe in God? Do you, do you believe in you faith in His Son, Jesus Christ? How do you know? He says, By their fruit. By the fruit. In the book of Matthew chapter 7, it says this, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them, check this out, by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Going on in the next verse, it says this. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. Jesus says, you don't have to thump somebody. You can probably go up and ask them but here's the thing, you will know somebody's faith by the way they live, by the way they act, by the way they behave. You'll look at them and say, There's something different about them, right? But here's a problem. Just because I'm reading the Bible and I'm praying, you might say, oh, that person must be a Christian, right? Jesus gave the religious leaders a little talk about this because here's the thing with the religious leaders. They knew that. They wanted to look good on the outside. But here's the problem. Their hearts were hollow. There was nothing in there. So you can maybe try to disguise your faith and say, I really want everybody to see that I believe And overdo it when you really don't have faith. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 23, talking to the religious leaders. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. You're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will come clean too. Going on. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you, Pharisees, hypocrites? Sounds like he's repeating himself, right? But listen to what he says now. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Now, I've underlined this in the screen for you. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. If faith is evident, can it be seen? Is it real? We have two extremes here. We have those who maybe have, you know, if you've placed your faith in Christ, but you, you're not living it out, then the question is do you really have faith in Jesus Christ? Then you got the other people who maybe don't have faith in Christ, but they want everybody to think they do, so they're really showing it overboard, right? Let's not worry about judging other people right now. Let's just stop and look at our own life. What is your life like? Is your faith real? Is, is your faith evident? Or are you a chameleon? You all know what a chameleon is, right? It's a lizard that, that sort of blends in with its environment. Are we like a chameleon where we just sort of blend in with our culture and environment? We just want to look like everybody else? Or are we cleverly disguised like an undercover Christian? It's like, I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian, but I am. I'm sort of keeping it under wraps. Or is your faith evident? Can people look at you and say, that person right there, they have a fearless faith. They they, they just they are on fire for Jesus Christ. They want to be an influencer for Jesus Christ. Think of, think of Peter, the Apostle Peter. As a disciple, he went from hiding in the upper room to preaching to the massive crowds. He went from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. His faith became so evident, so obvious. And I sometimes, you know, look at these, these great biblical heroes and say, I want faith like that. Don't you? Haven't you ever sat there and thought, I wish I could be like that? But God says, you can't be like that. But I'm not asking you to be Peter. I'm not asking you to be like any other person you've read in the Bible. I'm asking you to be you and let me work in you. I'm sure a lot of us in here say, I want my faith to be stronger. I mean, how does this transformation take place? Is this transforming power available to me? It's like, yeah, for 15 bucks, it's all right. now, right? And that's the that's scary thing because, you know, we're going through this and somebody's like, I can't wait because I want my life to be transformed. Transformation will not come through this book. just want to make sure you understand that, okay? It just won't. It's a 10-week program to help us go deeper. But this book is going to tell us about the transforming power found only in Jesus Christ. And what I'm thinking and hoping is, is that as we are in this book, it points us to the book that we really need to be in, and it will, and that we'll move together as one. It makes a commitment on all of our part to be all in to be fully committed. And that's my challenge this morning is I just want to encourage you all to be all in on this. To be fully committed, not half-hearted, not wishy-washy. If being a Christian um, meant like, put in the sports analogy, wearing the jersey, showing up at the game, cheering for your team, crying with your team, working together with your teammates, if that's faith, then I want to see our church be that way. Where we're showing up, not just here, but we're showing up in those challenging moments of our faith where we are meeting together with our teammates, our brothers and sisters in Christ, where we are encouraging one another, praying for one another, where we're saying, I'm putting on the the jersey of Christ. I represent the body of Christ and he is my savior and I'm proud to be called a Christian. That kind of all in. I heard a story about Michael Jordan. He was with uh, a friend of his, he was a CEO, uh, Fred Whitfield. Michael's at Fred's place one night, weather had cooled off, looked at Fred and said, hey, you got any jackets I can put on or something? I'm cold. So he's like, yeah, Michael, just go into my closet, find what you need. So Michael Jordan goes into the closet of Fred Whitfield, looking through. And it took him a little while. He comes out, though, with an armful of Puma gear. Okay, Puma's a brand name of clothing. Okay, all this Puma. Michael Jordan, by the way, is Nike. He's all about Nike, right? So he throws all this Puma gear down onto the floor. He left all the Nike stuff still in the closet. And he looked at Fred and like sort of shook his head, went into the kitchen, grabbed a butcher's knife. You can read about this in his book. Came out and sliced up a lot of the Puma gear, which is very extreme. And I would not suggest doing that, okay? And then uh, Michael Jordan then got on his phone and he called up Howard White, who was his contact with Nike. Hey, Howard? My friend here, Fred, needs new sweatpants, new this, new that, and he named off basically everything that was on there and hooked him up with it saying, and then looked at his friend Fred and said, I'm going to hook you up with the right person that's going to replenish your closet with all Nike. Dude, you got to be all in, right? That was sort of the the whole thing was, are you half-hearted here or are you fully committed? Now, I was thinking about that. Isn't that what we need? Don't we need somebody to sort of step into our life and look at our life and say, That's compromising your faith. That's compromising your faith. And come in and take the things out of our life that are compromising our faith and just shred it. And that did happen, actually. That's what Jesus did. He came and he shredded the sin and the death in our life and said, I want that out. And then he made a phone call to the Holy Spirit and said, I want you to go in and clothe him with righteousness. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. This makes us right with God, right? We live in a very chaotic world. We live in a very confusing world, a very compromising world. You can start with your own personal life. Where in your own life are you finding confusion and chaos and, and just frustration and pain? You probably have it in your own life. It doesn't take too long then to look outside your own life into your family. And then into the community. I'll just keep, it, just keep tossing that for, from the community out into the state, into our nation, into the globe, right? If you turn on the news, it isn't just the local news that saddens your heart. It's national news, and it's global news. And you're looking at all this, and like, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. And, and you consider all these things that are going on in this world, and it's like, how do I live as a Christian in this world? Especially now... When things that were one time not acceptable are acceptable. It, be, it makes it even more confusing. I'm going to give you one example. This is the first one that came to my mind. And um, I had somebody come up to me after first service and said, "Ah, oh, you're trying to convict me of something here? It's like, no, this is just the first example that came to my mind as I was writing this. And, and here's the scripture that it came to my mind. It's Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Foul language. And, and you know, obviously when I said this first, service, a couple of people squirming in their seats like, because I know what I say. I know what comes out of my mouth. Thanks, Rex. Are you convicted? Listen, this is God's word. This isn't Rex's word, Okay. So if you're convicted this morning because I put that verse up there, so be it. Let God speak to you. It's, it's, this is the first thing that came to my mind. Because you know why? Because this is something that is now acceptable. This verse doesn't matter to anybody I feel anymore. This is God's word. And he's like, this is what I'm telling you. You say, well, Paul wrote it. Who, who prompted Paul? The Holy Spirit. Don't use foul language. Do you remember as a kid, my generation, generation above me as well, when you're a kid, if anything close to a swear word came out of your mouth, you're in trouble. And if you did swear, oh no. Suspension, mouth washed out with soap, it wasn't, oh, go sit in time out and think about what you did. No, you, you paid for it because you dare not let anything come out of your mouth that was foul. And then, you know, the funny thing was, when you get to a certain age, it didn't matter anymore. Because, see, I guess what Paul meant when he wrote this was, don't use foul or abusive language until you turn 21. After 21, who cares? Say what you want to say, right? Isn't that what that verse means? No. But, see, the funny thing is, at some point in time in our life, it's okay. As an adult, I can say whatever I want to say, but as a kid, you better not say that, right? When did something unacceptable become acceptable? But today, it doesn't even matter. I hear little kids Dropping the F-bomb. Kids, you all, students, you all hear it in your hallway 24-7. You hear it at school. You hear it in the locker room. You hear it on the field. You hear it at work. Adults, we hear it everywhere. We hear it in a car. Oh, it's on the TV now all the time. It's like I can't even watch anything without something coming out. It's like, well, I guess it's, that's the way the world is. That's just the way it is. You know, I went, I went back and I watched some of those 80 movies. You know some of those 80s movies? And he's like, I go watch them, and I like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't remember that. You know why? Because they edited everything out. They wouldn't let you hear it. Now they're like, it's acceptable. And I, and I sit here, and again, it's, it's, I'm not here to, you know, we can, if we really want to sit down for a while, we could probably talk about a lot of things today that are now acceptable that were not acceptable. They were never acceptable with God. They're never acceptable now. But we've made them acceptable. It's okay. I could say a few things, and you might have a couple people walk out of here because, I, oh, you offended me. It comes from God's word. We live in this world of compromise and chaos and confusion, and it's like, well, how do, we, how do we deal with this? We need help, don't we? Jesus Christ said, I'm your help. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. He said, we live in a chaotic, confusing world where the unacceptable has become acceptable and I'm here to make it right. And that's what Jesus does. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, we read this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with Endurance, the race God has set before us, verse 2. We do this. How do we do this? By keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus Christ, we put our focus, we center on Him. He's the one who helps us with all of this. By the way, I'll pause for a second. I just want to remind you that I am a man preaching to mankind. Okay. So if you're sitting there thinking, Rex, I bet you don't have it right. I bet you're not perfect, are you? You are right. I am not perfect. I struggle with this. I'm on the same journey as you. But God's called me to share with you where we need to go and go together. So I'm, I'm along with you on this. I look at my life and the struggles of my own personal sins in my life. And what, do, what does Rex have to do? Put his eyes on Christ. And focus on Him. Because I need His help just as much as you do. And here's, here's the problem. Here's what happens. We, we can very easily, if we wanted to, take our lives and we're like, I'm going to put my, let's start with a plant. I take a plant and I put it in good soil. Let's sit there for a couple weeks. It starts to grow, water, sunshine hits it. You know, it starts to grow. And it's like, oh, I I love what's growing here. And so I, I rip it out and knock the soil off the, the roots and I say, "Oh, plant it over here because this is where I sit a lot during the day. And so I replant it. And then I notice after a couple of days it's not really grown like it was growing over there. So I get a little disappointed. Like, maybe I need to pull it out and shake off the dirt off the roots. Maybe plant over here. And, and, and I just keep moving it around because it's like I, 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 want it to, I want it to be in a good place. And, and this is a comfortable position here. And well, that was pleasurable over here. And, it dies doesn't it once you plant it you need to let its roots grow deep into the soil into that good soil to keep pulling out and replanting everywhere else does nothing but kill the plant the same thing happens with us when we are planted in Christ and then we decide culturally i want to i'm going to step away from Christ and replant over here with this group of people and then replant over here here's what happens we don't grow spiritually we die spiritually No growth, withering spirit. Colossians 3.16 says this. Let the message of Christ, about Christ, in all its richness fill your lives. Teach, counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. I love this verse because, again, I want to be planted in Christ. So His Word, God's Word, is my rich, deep soil. And I want to be focused on Christ and planted in here. here's the thing. And I want to be filled with Him. But the only way to be filled with Him is if I stay here. You know you can't fill a cup up with water unless you put it underneath the faucet. Does that make sense? Have you ever walked around with an empty cup saying, I wish my cup was full, I wish my cup was full? How do you fill your cup? put it under the faucet so it can be filled. If you're not putting your faith under Christ, your life will never be filled with Him. We walk around spiritually empty a lot, wondering why our lives aren't where they need to be. It's because we've not allowed ourselves to be filled with Christ. This is why the early church was like, we need to plant ourselves, and they planted themselves in the apostles' teachings and prayer and worship. They repented, they shared, and they gave. They gave. There's chaos in this world. There's confusion in this world. There's sin in this world. And the answer is Jesus Christ. And as a body of Christ, our faith requires a commitment to stay rooted in that soil. This whole discipleship program is just a program. And I'm excited about going through it with you. It's part of our spiritual journey. But the whole point is to build a foundation on the Word of God. Your getting in here on five days a week isn't so much about getting into that book as it will be helping you grow deeply rooted into His Word on a daily basis. It's also a thing of doing this together with others. The next 10 weeks will not be perfect. It will not be glamorous at times. But the more you dig in, I believe the more you're going to get out of it. And the question I want to ask you again is, are you committed to this? Are you all in? Are you committed to growing in your faith? And it's like, even if you don't go through the book, the challenges that we share on Sunday, I want to encourage you to at least root yourself in that. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 34 talks about a young man named Josiah. At age eight, he became king of a nation. Now his father and grandfather were evil men. And at age eight, Scripture says this. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. Wouldn't that be great to be said of you? I tried to please God, and I tried not to turn away from him. I tried to do everything that was pleasing his sight. That's a great testimony, isn't it? You know, the incredible thing about him is, at age 8, think about what our 8-year-olds are doing these days. Mm, snack. What's for snack? I'm going to go build a fort, you know? Josiah was building a fortress, okay? He had a whole nation he was in charge of. He was a king. But I love, the next thing is, that at age 16, he began to seek God. During the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. At age 20, he started destroying idols. At age 26, they uncovered, as they were renovating the temple, they uncovered the scrolls written by Moses, and they read them, and he wept before God because he realized, we've wandered from God. And he called the whole nation together, and he had them read the whole scroll. Can you imagine? Guys, I want you to sit we're going to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy this morning. Get comfortable. But as he read from the scroll, the nations wept. And then he said this, I am calling our nation unto a covenant together to worship God again. At 26. Now, why did I share Josiah? I shared this Wednesday night with the kids because he started at age eight through 26. Through those years, those 18 years of journeying, God brought him to the point when he was ready to make that covenant. I'm not going to press upon anyone in this room to say, you need to make a covenant today. You need to make a choice today. That's between you and God. I hope and pray as a church, we journey together, we grow together. That is my heart's desire. It's gonna take time, because it is a journey. This is not a sprint, it is a marathon, it is a journey. But as we do, listen for what God's calling you. Because I know this, in this week's reading, at the very end of the chapter, there's a covenant to sign. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're not committed to doing it, don't sign it. Be a person of your word. If you are committed to doing, going through this, sign it. I thought it was amazing that Josiah was like, we're all doing this, right? Here's the problem. You can make that demand as a king, but if it's not in your heart as the people, it won't happen. It's got to be in your heart to move forward and to move forward together. My question to you is, are you all in? You're not one of the people of of the past in our history, whether it's a Peter or whether it's a Josiah. You are who you are. And you are responsible for your own spiritual choices. I, as your pastor, am not responsible for your choice. Your grandparents are not responsible for your choice. Your parents are not responsible for your choice. Your siblings are not responsible for your choice. You are responsible for your own spiritual choice. And I encourage you. I encourage you to choose to follow Jesus Christ. And then follow together on a journey over these next 10 weeks. Worship team, would you come forward please? I pray you are ready to plant yourself solid in God's word. Many of you have been growing over these past few years. Some of you recently in the past few weeks, you're, you've been growing. Some of you are in Bible studies. And I love it. I'm going to encourage you to continue to grow. This is our journey, church. Would you please stand? I want to encourage us to grow together, to pray together, to read scripture together, to sing together to love one another, to serve with one another, to encourage one another. And as a church body, as we grow and worship together, I pray that you are blessed richly and that the fruit of his spirit is working through you immensely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for truth. I thank you that you've given us the opportunity to grow together as a church body. And each of us, Lord, I know are going to grow at a different pace. Some of us will will just dive deep into this, and some of us will take it a little bit slower. And that's okay, but Heavenly Father, I pray that we remember the choices that we're going to make in our life is a choice that we have to make. But I pray, Lord, that we choose to surrender to you, that we choose to listen to you, that we choose to obey you. And as we do, I pray, Lord, that your riches will fall upon this church in a spiritual way. That the love, peace, joy, and hope that we seek will be flooded with coming from your spirit. Lord, we love you and we want to sing to you now. In our name we pray, amen.